Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where our guest this evening is Barbara Mahaney. We've been talking about a book, The Stillness of Winter, Sacred Blessings of the Season. The three months of December, January, February, we're still talking about December. Uh, we've been discussing the art of being still, that it's uh, never too far away and not too hard to grasp. And she writes about it uh, in this way in her book. It is the heart, the soul that are the vessels of pure, true stillness. Those chambers deep inside us that allow for the holy to unfold. The birthing rooms, perhaps, of our most essential stirrings. To be at one with all that matters, to begin the pulse beat where there the quiet settles in and the knowing reigns, it is yes, in the stillness that the sacred comes. Barbara, I was talking about my my big crash mm-hmm. in, in downtown Pittsburgh. Tell us a little bit about um the littlest manger in your book, the story <laughs> that's got a big giant life size crush, and mine is so tiny. Baby Jesus is, as I said, I think in the essay I write that baby Jesus is the size of a grain of basmati rice. Yes. Um, I, I think my tiny little crush originally came from. Germany, I think. A friend of my mom's uh, had this just cache of beautiful, tiny wood carvings from Germany. And I think that's where my tiny crush, or my tiny, it's its not, it's um, just a Mary, baby Jesus, and Joseph. And as I write in the book, you know, I'm a lifelong Catholic, married to a wonderful Jewish man. And at the beginning of our marriage, you know, we were finding our way. We've been married almost 30 years now, but, um, you know, in the beginning, finding our way, finding how to braid our two traditions, not wanting. I knew that Christmas, a long time ago for him, was, it, it, it was hard because, you know, growing up Jewish in a community that, you know, was abundantly celebrating Christmas made my Jewish husband, you know, uh, as a young boy, really conscious of, you know, being different, being other, 
being left out, perhaps. And, um, you know, in the same way, my favorite prayer of the day is the act of contrition. Um, because of its posture of humility, I approach much of my life with profound humility and didn't want to bombastically, you know, bring, you know, a really loud Christmas into our home. I've never been a loud Christmas person anyway. I love all things quiet and simple and unadorned. And so I was, you know, pulling all my old ornaments, treasures out of boxes, and I came upon this tiny, tiny, tiny crush and that, you know, I had been given for no particular reason when it was given to me. Nobody was thinking, oh, she needs a tiny one. But in that moment, the preciousness, the perfectness of that tiny, tiny, tiny crush. I've always loved miniatures anyway. When I was a little girl going to the Art Institute of Chicago, I loved the thorn rooms, which were these miniature, magical, you know, rooms with every detail attended to. And so that tiny little crush which I now have, I think I actually have left it up all year this year. It's sitting on the perch of a birdhouse. We have a, this wonderful birdhouse on a stand. Um, the birdhouse was made to look like a replica of the church in the small Illinois farm town where the birdhouse was made, where I found it. And so this church birdhouse is um, in our family room. And if you look really closely, and you have to look closely, right next to the arched doorway of that would be the entrance to the church or the bird's entrance if it was outside and they were using it as a birdhouse, um, I have my teeny tiny basmati grain-sized manger with uh, baby Jesus and teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny Mary, and teeny, tiny Joseph, who actually has a little shepherd's crook in his hand um, that is maybe the size of, if there's any girls, women listening who remember those little, um, like when you were wearing a pierced earring with those little, those little tiny gold wires that, um, hung a little bit down if you had like some sort of dangly ornament on your earring. The St. Joseph staff is even smaller than that. So the whole thing is tiny and it's perfect because you have to pay attention to see it. And it's so small, it draws your gaze closely in to study it. And I think it catches your attention simply because it's just so tiny and it's such a marvel that somebody was able to carve, you know, intricately into you know, these tiny, tiny, how in the world do they do it? How can you carve into a piece of wood smaller than your fingernail, you know? So, um, so that's my littlest manger and it took on great meaning because although it's no longer, um, you know, my husband and I both embrace each other's religions and religious traditions Mm -hmm. deeply and profoundly. Um, it's just, it sort it reminds me it takes me back to that time in our marriage when i needed i felt i needed to tiptoe very very quietly and i wanted the sacred my sacred in our house but i didn't want my sacred to make my husband feel you know pushed away at all so it it's just a it's just a wonderful in the way that some of the objects in our lives just take on layers and layers of meaning. That's um, that's one of those beautiful objects for me that 
you know, just has telescoped time inside yes. of it. You uh, just listening to you, it sounds to me like you're you are unlike a little child at Christmas. That's <laughs> the way you seem to to live your your life. Uh, we see that in the morning prayer for Christmas that's in your book. And then you mm-hmm. have a count your blessings calendar. Uh, oh, yes. for, for December. Tell us a little bit about that before we move on to January. Um, you know, for each of the months, I think it started um, when I was a writer at the Tribune. Um, I had this idea. I was a feature writer at this time. I was a news writer at some points and feature writer at other points. I asked my editor if I could make a, a gratitude calendar or count your gratitude calendar or something from Thanksgiving straight through to the new year. And I just, I just crafted all these, like, I call them like little meditative post-its. They're just, it's just like one or two or three little sentences that, you know, it might be uh, the introduction of a really beautiful quote from some wise person um, in, um, you know, whose wisdoms I've found in books usually in books. I'm a great collector of wisdoms from books. Or it's just a mention of, you know, it's, it's, it's like a little instructive, a little holy prompt to, you know, go outside and take a moon walk and, you know, pay attention to the moon. Um, it reaps some of the lessons from the natural, the wisdoms of the natural world around us. Let me see if I can really quickly find a couple. Um, so for each month, for December, for January, and for February, I have, um, you know, uh, two weeks worth of blessings. Um, blessing uh here's blessing four for December. Morning incantation incantations at the cook stove. Stir a pot of oatmeal. Be jeweled with dried fruits from the pantry. For yourself and the people you love, still tucked under the covers. Mm-hmm. Blanket each dreamer and surely your very own self in blessings for the day as you draw the spoon through bubbling porridge. Or perhaps for the winter solstice. As the solstice brings on winter, celebrate the darkness. Make a bonfire or simply light candles. Throw a log in the fireplace. Listen to the crackle. Tradition has it that fires are sparked on the longest night to help the sun get its job done. Give thought to the life that's birthed out of darkness. So there might be a little instructive activity kind of thing to do, but it's always ended with some you know, some sort of either provocative question or provocative quote to, you know, to percolate through the day and just bring some, an extra layer of blessing to the day. In January, you uh, uh, tell us about uh, the natural monastic state into which you were drawn in the new year, and you uh, spoke about that a little bit during the first hour and uh, you have prayer reads for a new year. and mm-hmm. um, But you say that deep in the truth of all of us lies the rough draft that demands edit after edit. That sounds like someone who has done what you have done in life. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, all of us in someone some sense. Someone used the editor's pencil, right? <laughs> yes, right. Tell us a little bit about that deep in the truth of all of us lies the rough draft that demands edit after edit. 
I mean, I think in in that way that traditionally January is for, you know, people make resolutions and their lists and they start the new year with the bang and they're going to do this diet or that exercise program or whatever. Um, I think there's, there's, there's a beautiful blank slate that January offers us a chance to begin again to, uh, you know, so I'm not talking about making diet and exercise lists. I'm talking about going deep, deeper. And again, just being really honest in our, um, you know, scouring over our soulfulness and being frank with ourselves about where we fall short and how we want to be better and how we intend to begin to try to do that. I'm a great, great fan, follower, lover of Dorothy Day, whose yes. feast day, or I guess it's, she's not, uh, she's celebrated today. She died on November 29th, which mm-hmm. is what today is. And Dorothy Day talks beautifully. She was a huge fan of St. Teresa of Lisieux and, um, she talks about um, by little and by little, this understanding that it's by little acts of kindness, by little courages. We don't have to have a grand master plan how we're going to improve and better ourselves, but just to simply begin baby step by baby step, little by little, taking stock of ourselves, realizing how we might be better and setting out to try to love just a little bit more, to instill just a little bit more joy in the day, to forgive just a little bit more quickly, to hold back the harsh word just a little bit longer. Um, And for me, I mean, I say in the book, I was born on January 3rd, and so January has long been, and it's in normal years, when it's not pandemic times, January is a real quiet time post the craziness of December. January is sort of this fresh start month. And so mm-hmm. I, um, you know, the calendar is usually less filled. It's a little bit colder and snowier, certainly in Pittsburgh and certainly in Chicago. Yes. And, um, there's more of that time to be more deeply reflective. And so I say seize the month as a time to do some really important soul work. Yeah, you write about the the fresh start. uh, And again, reading from your book, The Stillness of Winter. I don't know a world religion that doesn't devote a chapter at least to absolution, cleansing, rinsing. It is as if we are hardwired for holy resurrection, to rise from our brokenness, to seek forgiveness for our sins and shortcomings, to come back to the fresh start, the blank slate, to try and try again, to believe in the Almighty, take two. Why is it that legends, stories passed from generation to generation enchant you? Because the stories that last have kernels of truth, undeniable truths, 
they've lasted all this time. They're not ephemeral. Um, maybe they're time tested. And, you know, we're blessed. We live in the 21st century. So we have all these centuries of wisdom to look back on. I mean, our bookshelves, by definition, should be bigger and longer and deeper than those of the 17th century and the 16th century, because we have all these these great minds. Great minds are born every day. Great minds flourish. And through really hard times that have come before us, times far harder than a COVID pandemic, you know, people's holy wisdoms have saved lives and civilizations. And who are we to not turn back to the ancients, the prophets, the mystics, the saints, the holy people, the professors who had so much to teach us and who've been studied by scholars and brilliant people and their work has held over time. And so I find just deep layers of profound truth in, in the ancients and the centuries ago poets and thinkers. And there are certainly great, great minds now, but mm-hmm. I shall not in- ignore mm-hmm. the ones who came long ago. We have just about two minutes to our next break, but tell us okay. a little bit about your annual feast for the birds on, oh. the, on the winter solstice. <laughs> My sister and I love feeding the birds all year long. Oh, that that just that's become just a wonderful, wonderful tradition in our house. My kids love it. We we make special treats. My mom taught me, my mom was, we call my mom the original Mother Nature, and she taught us to fill, you know, muffin tins with, um, we get, we buy, it's really easy to get suet from your butcher at the plain old supermarket grocery store, nothing fancy. You tell them you want to buy a pound of suet and they're like happy to throw it at you. And you melt it on the stove and you pour it into cups and you pour your bird seed in and you put a a piece of string or yarn in there so you can tie it on your bushes. Um, Or you just take pine cones. My kids love to do this when they were little and I didn't want to get hot suet anywhere near them. But you just take a pine cone and slather it in peanut butter and then you roll it in bird seed and you tie a little string onto the top of the pine cone and you hang that on all the trees outside. Or you just, you know, scatter extra bird seed, whatever, or dried fruits, all sorts of things. But it's really wonderful to make it um, a special occasion. And the the liturgical calendar offers a couple days. You could do it um, at the Feast of St. Francis, which is actually, I think, October 4th. You could do it on, um, we typically do the Sunday right after Christmas. Um, you can do it on New Year's Day. You can do it on Epiphany. Um, you can pick any one of those right. days. But th- yeah, there is a, there's a wonderful tradition um, with Epiphany, which I write about in the book. Let me just break in and take us to the next break. You okay. you write that, uh, um, and now I have a new excuse for spoiling my herds and my flocks. I like to think of them in masses as it makes me feel like a shepherd I long to be. There's something deeply comforting imagining that I'm the guardian of my critters and hoping they can depend on me to keep their bellies full. 
Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where our guest is Barbara Mahaney. We're talking about her book, The Stillness of Winter, Sacred Blessings of the Season, December, January, and February. Um, Barbara, there's so much I'd love to read from the book. Um, it would take a lot, a lot more hours before I could even just uh, touch on the things that I would like to. You talk about where you found the sacred in your life recently. You have a lot of information about birds. You you write that uh, to see is to know, is to understand, is to absorb, to take in the whole of, of God's breath. And even though uh, you talk about it in February, what do you know and love about the birds who visit your yard? Mm. I love the wildness of the birds. I love that they're not caged. They're not hemmed in by anything. I love their familial relationships. I love the cardinals who pair monogamously. I love the way the mother birds tend so protectively um, to their eggs and their hatchlings and their fledglings. I think watching a mama bird teach her babies to fly and watching those babies stumble and fall and watching that mother so courageously sitting on the end of her branch, letting those babies fly and falter and fall um, has something to teach me. Um, The essay you were alluding to, the teaching to see, it it was about um, my little, my then kindergartner, I believe, um, had a pair of binoculars sitting on his windowsill, and he wanted to learn how to use them. And so a Papa Cardinal just happened to, he has a a flat roof outside his bedroom window, because the family room is down below, and it's just a one-story family room. So he has a flat roof. So Papa happened to land on the roof outside his window, and so he was using those binoculars. And I I was teaching him how to use the binoculars, and I really quickly, as so often happens, I realized things on multiple different levels. I realized, you know, I'm teaching a child to see, yes, but I'm really teaching a child how to look at the world, how to see in that way you were referring to in your very first question to me tonight. How do you, how do you learn to see all those subtleties and all those fine, magnificent distinctions? You know, I hope one of my most profound roles as a mom is, you know, to have raised my boys to always be seeing, to be on watch um, which reminds me of, you know, the Garden at Gethsemane and, you know, the important mission of keeping watch while Jesus yes. was off praying. So is that not one of our holiest tasks, to keep watch in our lives? And the birds delight me. The birds, we worry about the birds, especially in those terrible, terrible Chicago winters. I think I write about one of them in one of the essays for February. You know, those times when, you know, it's like, polar vortex cold in Chicago, like 60 below zero. And you, you know, you don't even see any fluttering outside for like 24 hours until that cold finally breaks. And you pray through the night that those little birds and God bless all the homeless 
you know, in Chicago and in the surrounding suburbs now, um, you know, tending for a wild little creature just nourishes and strengthens those caretaking aspects of ourselves. And I think the more we all pay attention to being caretakers of all of creation, I think the finer shape this planet will be in, the finer shape we as a human population will be. That's why we're here, to love each other as ourselves. And that means caring for all of God's creatures. And the birds happen to be a delightful flock of creatures who come right outside my windows. So I love them. I um, select a story, a faith and imagination story at the beginning of every program. I have over a thousand of them now. Uh, Your storytelling was my friend. beautiful. Right. I have to say, I loved it. Thank you. But but oh, I, I had I had I had that story that I told. Then I have another story. Let me just let me just touch on it, okay. uh, where Jesus uh, is talking to this uh, this wise man and an old man, and they're talking about life, and he's saying that he has great love for the animals, mm. and uh, and he asks. Uh, Jesus, what he thinks, and just these final words of the story are Jesus saying, The bird is a gift to man from my father. Hmm. It sings to welcome the morning. When it is quiet, we know it is time to rest. It finds its own food and does not ask to be fed. It does not harm man, but rather helps to scatter the seeds so that life may abound. The bird is a gift, a gift indeed. A soul has feeling, and a bird has feeling, each in its own way. Then Jesus blew the feather away from a, this is from a feather of the bird that had fallen off, and said, "Let it be carried to another spot where someone else may find it and admire it." So we're surrounded by the beauty of nature, like um, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You too have a dream. What what is your dream? Tell us. Something about your dream. Oh, the dream I write about in that essay, um, the dream I write about in that essay was um, probably the most profoundly spiritually moving experience of my life. And literally, I was um, I was in high school, and I went on a silent retreat with my mom, and I was alone in the chapel um, on the Friday night, the beginning of the retreat. And I was kneeling and praying, and I looked up at the crucifix, and the face of Jesus started changing. It was like a codex slideshow of just a revolving picture show of all kinds of faces, all kinds of colors, all kinds of ages. It just, and I was just weeping and rubbing my eyes and thinking I'm seeing things. And, but I knew I wasn't, I I had this profound sense that something miraculous was happening and I was just deeply, deeply moved. And I write about that and I absolutely, absolutely took from that dream, that vision, that profound moment that my task in life is to see the face of Jesus 
in everyone. And so that's what I do. That's how I live. That's why, that's what directed me as a newspaper writer. I felt so profoundly gifted to be able to sit at the feet of whoever I was writing a story about and let them just unfold their souls and their stories for me. And I gathered it up in my notebook and I wrote those stories and they landed on the front page of the Chicago Tribune and to, um, to, to look for, to find the face of God in every, everyone was something, um, you know, I was taught that by my grandfather in particular. He was a holy, holy man who taught me at an early young age to honor and see the beauty in everyone. And I grew up um, to then have that profound experience in my junior year of high school. I was always someone who was, um, you know, just keeping my eyes open. I guess I've mm. just always kept my eyes open, looking for people pushed to the margins, looking for that look of hurt in people's eyes, recognizing it, reaching out toward it. Maybe it's why I was a nurse. It certainly informed the kind, many of the kinds of stories I did at the Tribune. Um, I once did a series early on in my years of the Tribune. They sent me across the entire country. I was doing a series on hunger in America, and my assignment was to literally paint the portraits in words of the hungry I found all over America in 1985, from the backwoods of Maine to the Navajo Reservation to salmon fishermen in northern, northern California to um, – you know, the immigrants at the Rio, in the Rio Grande Valley to farmers in Iowa. And that assignment, I love that assignment because it's so fit with the vision I had had so many years before of, you know, just go out and look for and find and see and record the face of God and everyone you see. And then God gave me this gift of being able to tell those stories with words. And I could have just as joyfully been a photographer who captured beautiful images of people's faces. I love photography, but you know, the, the gift I've been given is, is just the joy and love of words and the power of words. So that's my Sure, you're, you're right. The dream is where we choose to send our children out to play. It is how we cook and who we choose to feed. It is in the people we invite into our homes, the stories we ask them to tell, so our children can listen, can soak up the sparks of wisdom that come from far beyond our walls. It is how we look into the eye of the guy pumping gas or the pink-haired checker ringing up our groceries and how and where we toil. It is getting up on Sunday morning and going out to some place where the lessons come from far wiser teachers instead of staying huddled around the table, flipping through the news, keeping watch of birds. It is day in and day out saying to yourself, I have a dream. I see a world other than the one before me. It starts right now 
with my next whole breath. And uh, you, you talked about being a nurse, and, and you have a, a list of, of blessings for January 14, blessings two weeks, of, and uh, we should certainly include nurses in them, shouldn't we, and doctors. Absolutely, now, in terms of oh my goodness yes, gracious. in terms of what's yes. going on right yes. now. Yes, This very moment as we talk. This very, very moment, this very, very moment. You know, there's once upon a time, the very first time I was on your show back in 2014, um, shortly after Slowing Time came out, you and I were having a wonderful, wonderful Sunday evening conversation, and there was a wonderful nurse somewhere outside Pittsburgh who was driving home from her night shift. She's become a friend of mine, and she said she got home and she sat in her car with the radio on and she kept the radio on listening to us and she was a nurse and god bless her and all those nurses who are out there right now keeping people alive connecting people via iphone or ipad or however to family members who can't be at the bedside nurses who are being the healers, the heart putter beckers together. Yes. You know, and and doing it so fearlessly or they're deeply afraid and doing it anyway. Isn't that the real, real, real mark of, of a hero? Somebody who who is fully afraid and knows fully um, what they're up against, but right. steps into the fires anyway. And certainly, um, you know, I just can't imagine some of these nurses have, you know, they, they thought they went through the worst of it in the spring. And here it is almost December and it's, you know, worse than it's ever worse been. And it's only going to get worse. And Bless them all. Bless the doctors. Bless the nurses. Bless the respiratory therapists. Bless the nursing aides. Bless the janitors. Bless everyone who is um, keeping us alive in hospitals all over this country. February. Let's touch upon February. We just have about uh, four or five minutes left now. But you're right. February is a month when we're wise to put our ear to the heartbeat all around. There's stirring deep beneath the crusts of the earth and deep within our weary selves, invisible but certain. Might that be the boiled-down essence of February's lesson? Faith in the notion that all is a work in progress, even when it's beyond our perception, earthly and otherwise. February tries its darnest to turn us into doubters. Who says the days upon days are dreary will draw to an end? What if we're stuck in the midst of eternal winter? What if we never unclench from our tight coils? Why won't you give up on February? That's a question for me. Yes. Why won't I give up on because because I mean, the wisdom of February comes in part from the garden, from the earth, from knowing those bulbs you planted so optimistically in October in September um, are doing their work underground. There's, there is growth underground and that same growth that's underground in the garden and in the forest and in the meadow and in the prairie is the underground growing that, ha- you know, if we have been reached for stillness 
in December if we have been honest in our self-assessments and our commitment to the fresh start in January. Then February, yes, 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 February kind of gets really endlessly gray and we think it will never end and spring isn't going to come this year. We're going to be stuck in winter. But the truth is that there is that invisible growing and if we can have faith that it's growing and that faith will be rewarded when we see the little green nubs pushing out from under the frozen crust of earth in late February, early March, depending where we live. Um, you know, that same, those same green nubs we will see rising from the garden. We can be sure that those same, that same soul growth is happening inside of us. And so that's, that's the mission. That's the that's the lifeline to hold on to in February. To, just to know, just keep doing the work because it's going to pay off. It's going to pay off. If you want to be different one from one winter to the next, you've just got to go through those slog through the times when you're kind of getting to the end of your rope and you really aren't sure there's any payoff coming. But it will come. It will come. I promise you. Our guest this evening has been Barbara Mahaney. We're talking about, we have been talking about her book, The Stillness of Winter, Sacred Blessings of the Season. Barbara, how nice to be back with you again. Thank you for so being here this be evening. You. You're just such a wonderful conversationalist. Such a joy. Bob, bless you and your loved ones during this Advent season leading to this great feast of great of God's love for us on Christmas. Bless you, too. Thank you. Thank and bless you. everyone who's listening. Bless all right. you. Bless you all. All right. Good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. Um, Barbara writes in her book, um, When the Heavens Bring Silence, I awoke to the holiest sound I know, still silence, not a peep or a plow, the barest whoosh of air swirling through snow-covered limbs. I stood there and drank it all in. Only now, an hour or so after the light seeped in, only now is the faint chorus of chirps beginning to stir. Not a plow, not a shovel, not a footfall. A morning like this, I often think, is the closest God comes to putting a finger to lips whispering, shh, be still. Open your ears, open your soul, drink in the stillness, the quiet, the pause. Settle your soul, put aside the rumblings that rumble. This dawn, this start to the day is a reminder. The holiest sound in the whole wide world is the sound of just listening. Learn to listen. She prays, Dear God, steady us, deepen us. Let the vessel this day that carries you into the midst of chaos, let me sow love, let me bring pardon. Let me in these hours ahead scatter faith wherever there's doubt, hope in place of despair. You've answered my, my prayer before. I've opened my eyes for the day. You've laced 
the dawn in white upon white. You've hushed the world out of my window. You opened my door into prayer. Still heart, deep vow, bold promise. Dear God, I thank you. Now let us tiptoe softly into this day. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us.